Here's the truth. Here's what I want you to know. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. If you're here tonight, God wants to encounter you. God wants to do something in your life. So some of you have been here for the last 24 hours and you've just been like on your knees and going after God. And some of you are like, I don't even know what the heck I'm doing here. I just like got drugged here by my friends and I hope it's fun, right? And so no matter what category you're in, what, what brought you to this moment tonight, I believe that whether you know it or not, that it's a divine appointment with God and that God intends to show up in your life and do something epic. So tonight, the text that I'm going to preach in is from the book of Jonah in the Bible, and I'm not going to go through the whole story, so we've got some kids that are going to teach us the first part of the story of Jonah. And that's where preachers end the story, right? That the guys, not the laser tag part, but they turn to God and they have this moment and it's like, yay, yay Jonah, yay Nineveh, no one dies and it's awesome. And everyone thinks the story ends there, but it doesn't. Don't you wish you had that power? Don't you wish that sometimes when you're in the middle of life and things are happening and it's going great and then all of a sudden some epic failure happens, but no, don't you wish you could just edit that part out? Somehow Jonah gets that opportunity because nobody remembers that there's a chapter four to Jonah's story. So everything the kids just taught us, that's chapters one, two, and three, and then there's a chapter four and no one talks about it, but tonight we're gonna talk about it because it's crazy. Now the first thing that happens is all those people, right? They're, they're wicked, they're evil, they're, they're horrible to widows and orphans, they're stealing from the poor, they're doing, I don't know where the fish slapping thing came from, but whatever, they're doing all kinds of wicked evil things, right? And then Jonah goes to him and he tells them, God loves you, he's after you, please repent, turn from your evil ways and turn to God, and all the people do. Now. What do you think Jonah would be feeling in that moment? If, as a preacher, let me tell you, if I went to a city that had a couple million people that were wicked and evil, and, and I preached to them about Jesus and God, and all of a sudden, all of the people repented, and said, fell on their knees and said, God, I'm so sorry, I've been blowing it, please forgive me. And, and they like gave money to the poor and like showed their repentance with true heart changed actions. As a preacher, I'd be like, best day ever. I, I've never even heard of such a thing. I've never heard of 100%, all of the city, a million people or more, repenting and turning to God all in one moment. That would be the best possible victory of all time. So if I was Jonah, I would expect him to be thrilled about what happened. Let's pick up the story and see how Jonah felt in Jonah chapter four, verse one. It says, Jonah was furious. He lost his temper and he yelled at God. Not very smart. He yelled at God, God, I knew it. I knew it. When I was back at home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran away to Tarshish, not Nineveh. I knew, I knew you were sheer grace and mercy and not easily angered. I knew you were rich in love and ready to drop at, at the drop of a hat to turn from your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So Jonah is mad about his epic success. Say what? He's mad, he's furious. 
Cornelius, he's screaming at God and he's throwing in God's face, I knew you were this nice. Have you ever had someone do that to you? You're like being cool and then they just use who you are against you in the worst possible way. That's what this preacher is doing to God. He's like, I knew you were kind. I knew you were, hate, you were merciful, and I hate you for that. Like, that's crazy, right? He is throwing a ginormous temper tantrum. He, he's acting like a three-year-old. He's throwing a temper tantrum because what he went to do happened. That makes, it's like so many contradictions going on in this text. I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered. I knew you were rich in love. Why, God, are you so good and kind? It's so, uh, verse three. So God, if you don't kill them, meaning the people in Nineveh, if you don't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. So Jonah is having a massive pity party, a massive tantrum, Everything he went off to do happened successfully, and his response is just throw himself on the ground and arch his back like a three-year-old in a grocery store. He has lost his mind, and he's acting like a complete fool. Verse 4, in the middle of all that, God talks to him, and God says, what do you have to be angry about? That's a good question, right? Like, what does he have to be angry about? The very thing he intended to do happened. So, I want you to imagine, you're Jonah, you show, up in not, you show up in Nineveh, and you start preaching about God, and everybody repents, old and young, rich and poor, and you're talking about God, and people are receiving your message, and they're being changed. Those people, it would be my guess, that those people would offer Jonah a place to stay, don't you think? Like if they were like, this man has come with the words of God for our life. Let's put him up in our nicest hotel or maybe like the palace and let's feed him grand feasts and great food and learn more about God that he's telling us about. Let's spend more time with him. I would think naturally if they're welcoming that message, they would welcome that messenger, right? But verse five lets us know, but Jonah just left. So he shunned the invitation of the Ninevites. He shunned probably the opportunity to sleep in the luxury hotel, to eat the finest of foods, to be carried around on the white stallion horse around the town. He shunned all of that and he just left. His pity party temper tantrum continues. He just left, verse five, and he went out of the city to the east and he sat down in a sulk. And he put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. So he's throwing this huge fit, he's furious with God, and then he just storms out of the city and he just mm, sits down and sulks. And then he realizes it's kinda hot, and so he makes himself a shelter out of sticks and leaves. And he's got a spot on the hill to try to watch, to try to watch what's gonna happen to the city. Cause I think, Jonah thinks, God's gonna still get him. Jonah hated the Ninevites. He didn't like them at all. That's why he didn't want to go in the first place. And so Jonah had the idea that they just probably faked out God. Jonah, I think he thought, they didn't really mean it when they repented. I preached, and they didn't mean it. They're just faking it. 
They're just faking their relationship with God. They're just faking love of God. They're faking like they care about God. But I know they really don't. I know their heart, he thinks to himself. I know it's all fake repentance. And so he sits outside the city on the hill, puts himself in a position where he's like, just watch and see these fake repenters. God's probably going to call down fire from heaven and burn them up. Like it's going to still happen. He's rooting for their destruction pouting on the cliff of the city, watching what's about to happen, hoping they burn, right? This tells me that Jonah's encounter in the whale, that when he was in the belly of the fish in the middle of the sea and he had run away from God and the fish came and swallowed him up and he's in the gross, nasty place, this lets me know Jonah didn't really have a change of heart. He just had a change of direction. Jonah didn't have a change of heart. He had a change of direction. He was going one direction. He was heading to not Nineveh. And then he got in huge trouble, got thrown overboard. A shark ate him. A whale ate him. A big fish ate him, whatever it was. And he, and he changed directions, but he never changed his heart. He never let God have control of his heart. He just stopped running away. He went through the motions. He gave lip service. In fact, the only one in the book of Jonah who did not repent was the preacher. The only one who didn't have a heart change was Jonah. All the people of Nineveh, man, they didn't look like they knew God. They didn't look the part. They didn't act religious. They didn't know anything until the moment Jonah showed up. And all of a sudden, they heard the message. They listened to the message. They received the message. And they were truly changed on the inside. Every one million people except one dude, Jonah. The preacher didn't have a change of heart. Guys, it's not enough to give lip service. It's not enough to just change directions. We have to allow God to change our heart. And what this story tells me is if Jonah's throwing a fit and a temper tantrum and sulking his little shelter on the side of the hill that he didn't change on the inside. He just went through the motions. And when we look at this weekend, for those of you who've been at the 24 retreat, it can't just be a change of direction. It has to be a change of heart. It can't just be going through the motions and be like, it's another altar call where we tell God we're sorry for our sins and now it's a cool altar call where we pray together and I feel the goosebumps and the band's awesome and this awesome thing happened and I felt close to all my friends and it was cool. Like it can't just be a turn in a direction. It has to be an internal heart change. We have to let God have access to our heart. And Jonah was the only one God did not have to destroy Nineveh because they truly changed. And so Jonah's up on the mountain, he's waiting, and he's watching, and he's pouting, and he's hoping they're going to burn, that fire's going to fall. God didn't destroy Nineveh for another 120 years. But he was about to wreck Jonah's life. And he was about to wreck Jonah's life because even though Jonah was given the lip service, he wasn't giving God the heart service. He didn't engage his heart in his relationship with God. What this tells me is the fish wasn't enough to capture Jonah's heart. And the belly of the whale got him to reform his actions, 
but it didn't reform who he was. Maybe it was the fish guts, maybe it was the rotten smell inside, the stink of everything that made Jonah fake change or part change, but it didn't really cause change. Have you ever gone through something tough in your life and said to yourself, man, I need, to, I need to talk to God about this. If I, God, if you get me out of this, I will never blank. Have you ever done that? God, if you, if when I pee on this pregnancy test, if it's negative, I will never have sex again. If you help me on this test, I promise I'll take school seriously for the rest of my life. God, if you get my parents to buy me this car, I will not miss church again for my entire life. God, if you help my family, just stop fighting. I promise I'll do my version Bible app every single day forever. God, if you get me out of this stinky, smelly mess, I'll do blank. That's what Jonah did, right? Jonah said, get me out of this will, I'll go to Nineveh. And he did. In his body, but not in his heart. And it's not enough for us to get in a stinky, smelly situation in our life and follow God with our lip service. We have to follow God from the depth of who we are as people. Because once we get out of the situation, human nature will cause us to go back to just living and acting and being exactly how we were before. Because the belly of the fish doesn't change the heart. Only Jesus can change the heart. Only surrender of our, us surrendering control to Jesus can ever bring about a heart change. So Jonah, he gets out of the fish, and he does what he says he'd do, kind of, and he preaches to the people, and they repent, and they change. They change for real, deep down inside, permanently, but not Jonah. And these verses in chapter 4 let us know that he is that only one. And now he's sitting up on the hill, and he's watching, and what's he doing? His heart didn't change, so he became judgmental. Ever seen religious people get really judgmental? Yeah, right? It's something we struggle with. And so sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, I got these people figured out. And that's what Jonah thought. He thought, I had those people figured out. I know exactly what's going to happen. And so he's sitting on the hill. He's getting judgmental. He's building this case against them. And so God had prepared this fish to swallow him, right? And now... That didn't work. It didn't change his heart. God is after Jonah's heart. He's not after Jonah's direction. And so because the fish didn't change his heart, God then prepared a weed. And you never hear about Jonah and the weed. You always hear about Jonah and the whale. But Jonah and the weed, verse 6, it says, So God prepared a broadleaf weed to spring up, and it grew over Jonah to cool him off and to get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. So basically, out of nowhere, Jonah's pouting, right? He's got his fake ghetto shelter going on here, and God causes a big weed to somehow grow up. Overnight, it springs up and provides a big, broad leaf to cover over the shelter and shade it even more. And all of a sudden, Jonah, who's kind of being a big, pouty baby, he starts to get a little happy because his circumstances change. He feels a little happy. He feels some comfort. This weed has sprung up. The sun is beating down. Jonah has no one to talk to, right? Because everyone in the city he's mad at, and God he's mad at. And I think Jonah bonded with his weed. Yes, I see what I did there. I think Jonah bonded with his weed. 
I think he was comfortable with his weed. I think he wanted his weed because he's thrown a temper tantrum against God. He doesn't have people to talk to, and he's isolated himself from God to talk to, so all he has left is to talk to this stupid little weed. And so their friendship budded. And I bet Jonah, I bet Jonah was telling them all about I bet he was telling this weed all about those fakers in Nineveh and how they were playing lip service to God and he was accusing them of the very thing he was. So many times we can tend to see a flaw in someone else because it's the flaw we actually have. And that's what Jonah's doing. He's talking to the weed, and he's like, oh, those people are fake. They're fake repenters. They, ha- they didn't really mean it. They're just down there faking it. You see what I mean, weed? And he's bonding with his bud, and he's accusing these other people. And my question to you is, what weed's in your life? Do you spend time with? Do you talk to? Do you spend money on? Do you give energy or passion to? What is the weed in your life? Maybe you use it to dumb or numb the pain the hurt, the heartache of the disappointment. Maybe it's just something you turn to when you're at odds with God, but each one of us has a weed in our life. And maybe it's actual weed, and maybe it's something else, but they're temporary things that we go to to sort of appease ourselves. But in reality, they're here today, and they're gone the next day. And the weeds that we run to and we think they're going to fix us, we think they're going to lift us up and they're going to help us relax or help us feel better. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. They can be fickle. The weed could be a friend's affection or a friend's approval that you seek. The weed could be a position on the team that you're giving your everything for. But as soon as you graduate, that sport is over. And that life as you know it is done. Maybe the weed you're pursuing is the followers on Instagram Or maybe that weed is a boyfriend or girlfriend or a relationship. Or maybe it's just the idea of getting the most kills on PUBG. I don't know what it is. But you, we each have a weed. We have a go-to thing that we use to numb that pain when we're not talking to God. And is it a big deal if we have boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it a big deal if we have followers on Instagram? No. As long as we know those things are temporary and they're not the real thing. Because if we can't recognize that they're temporary here one minute and gone the next and never gonna truly comfort, then God has to take the next step and he has to prepare the worm. We're gonna talk about what the worm is in a second, but Jonah, he's comforted by his weed. He feels entitled to his weed. He feels deserving of his weed. He feels he has the right to have the weed. And Jonah, he didn't care. He didn't care what the need inside him that this weed was filling. But just like God prepared a fish to capture Jonah's heart, and the fish turned Jonah's direction but didn't capture his heart, then God sent a weed. And what he was looking for was for Jonah to go, I didn't plant that weed, I didn't grow that weed, and look up to heaven and say, God, thank you for this comfort. Thank you for this comfort that you've sent to me, even though I'm being a selfish brat. Thank you for sending this to shade me and comfort me. He was hoping that that would restore their relationship, but instead, Jonah thought he deserved it and had the right to have it. Verse seven, pick up the story. But then God prepared a worm 
So God prepared a fish to capture Jonah's heart. God prepared a weed to capture Jonah's heart. And finally, God prepared a worm to capture Jonah's heart. It was all about capturing his heart. So God prepared a worm. By the dawn of the next day, the worm had bore into the weed and it withered away. The sun came up and God prepared a blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint and he prayed to die. This guy's a wuss, man. I'm better off dead. Right? How many, this is like the fourth time he said that. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry about this weed? You try to take people's weed away from them, they get very angry. So Jonah is mad because, because God prepared not just a whale and not just a weed, but he prepared a worm. And he said, if you can't praise me with this in your life, then this has to be removed from your life. It's okay to have a little bit of weed in your life, not that kind of weed, but it's okay to have some weeds in your life, some temporary things that, that you enjoy, some hobbies, in some Instagram, some social media, some video games, some friendships, boyfriend. That, it's okay to have that as long as you acknowledge that it's temporary and not your source. Jonah couldn't get that, and so the worm came and ate that away so that for the sole purpose of God wanting Jonah to look up and begin to pursue his heart. But it didn't happen. The more attached to the weed we become, the more worms God has to allow in our lives. And worms are, th are things, they're situations, they're circumstances that God uses in our life to expose our heart and our motive. So now he's provoking Jonah a little bit. He's like, wait a second, I, I blessed you with this plant to shade you. You weren't grateful to me. You didn't look to me. You just felt entitled to it and deserving of it. And so therefore, I'm, if God can't have your heart, then we can't have the weeds in our life either. We can't have those extra things if they're going to steal our affection away from God. And the extra stuff in our life like band, dance or basketball or gymnastics or, or 4-H or Netflix or video games, those things can only be there if we see them for what they are, weeds, just filler, just extra stuff, temporary and not the point of life. But if our identity becomes wrapped up in the weed, if our identity becomes wrapped up in the weed, then God will remove the weed. If our identity gets wrapped up in that extra temporary stuff in our life, then God will have to remove that from our lives. When I was a kid coming up, I loved soccer. I started playing when I was five. I played year-round. I played competitive. I traveled. I did all this stuff. I was actually kind of good. When I was in college, I was the first woman in collegiate history to play in an all-men's team, in an all-men's team, in an all-men's conference at the collegiate level. So I cared. I get it. I had my sport, and that was my temporary comfort thing. I loved it, and I had a lot of fun doing it. But there was a point in my life where it became too much of my identity, where I, where I felt that I had to have it. And it wasn't just that I liked it or I had fun with it. I didn't know what to do with myself if soccer wasn't in session. And because of that, I think the way I perceive my life is God had to send a worm to remove the weed. And so the summer between um, my freshman year and my sophomore year of high school, 
I got hurt bad. I was like a water skiing accident. A lot of you have heard the story, but I got my arm wrapped up in a water ski rope. The scar's still there to this day. And it ripped my arm and drug me through the water. And I almost died and I almost severed my arm and it was crazy. But as a result of that, I couldn't play soccer that fall. It was the first time in my life that I had not been playing soccer since five years of age. And I did not know what to do with myself. God had to remove that weed from my life so that I could refocus on him. And it wasn't that soccer was bad. There's nothing wrong with soccer. It was awesome. It was fun. I went back to play it, played it in Bible college and all that. It's great. But if it becomes your identity, if your identity becomes centered on something that's temporal and fake and is just filler in your life and it becomes all about that, then it's going to have to go. Then it became a weed, so God had to send the worm. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to be angry about this weed? And Jonah said, plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. Jeez. Verse 10, God said, what's this? How is it that you change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight over a mere weed that you did nothing to get? You neither planted it nor watered it, and it grew up in one night and died the next night. You're all bonded to a weed. So why can't I likewise change the way I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This is a big city with more than 120,000 babies. So how many people live in a city that has 120,000 infants, like probably over a million, has 120,000 babies who don't even know right from wrong to say nothing of innocent animals. So here we have Jonah, and he's super bummed because a plant died, but he could care less about a million people in the city of Nineveh. He's pouting about a plant, but he cares nothing for people. He's pouting about personal inconvenience when he doesn't even realize the potential death of a million 120,000 infants, plus their brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandparents. Seems extreme, but think about it in the context of our life. How much time or energy do we spend in one week on Netflix for personal convenience and entertainment compared to the amount of time we spend helping our grandparents? Or how much kindness do we give in one week to a boyfriend or girlfriend versus how much kindness do we give to a sibling that is annoying to us? Or how much concern do we show for social media accounts that we have versus what we show for social justice issues? Or how much money do we consume for ourselves, spend on ourselves versus give to the poor and the broken and the needy around the entire planet? Or how much grace do we give to the special needs kid versus our own friends? And this is the kind of thing that goes defunct in the heart of humanity when we give lip service to God, but we don't give God control of our heart. We get tied up and overly concerned and attached to weeds, and we miss the whole point of everything. Jonah missed the whole point of his life. The entire point of his life was to teach these people about God and see them turn from their sin. And I don't think it was supposed to be a one-time preach and ditch. I think he was probably supposed to live there and pastor and mentor and give back to these people and instruct them for a lifetime. But instead, he did the bare minimum because all he gave God in the belly of a whale was lip service and never heart service. And friends, I don't want to be Jonah. I don't want to be that guy that, that can act lip service to God 
but can turn as soon as possible and go back to my old ways. And, and it's not about trying harder. It's about giving God access to our hearts. It's about giving God access to our hearts. Who, God, do you want me to be? Not just what do you want me to do. Jonah was saying, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to go to Nineveh? Fine. But what he should have been asking is like, God, who do you want me to be on the inside? How should I, what should be going on in my heart as I'm going to Nineveh, as I'm doing the right thing? And God wants that. He wants to impart to you his heart. As you surrender your heart, he wants to give to you his heart. And so I'd like to, this is an incredibly diverse group of people. And we're, we all have different experiences that brought us to this moment. But I would like to invite you to find some space somewhere in the room. I want to challenge you to move away from your friends. You can come down front over here. You can just move to a different couch to just give some space. So you're not like crowded like sardines. But I'd like to invite you to go ahead and move right now and just get some space. Just so you've got a little bit of room. Because we're going to ask some very real questions today. We're going to ask some very real questions right now, and we're going to look into our own lives. This is something that only you can do for yourself. So let's go ahead and spread out. Just find some space down here on the rugs. Sit one or two to a couch. Just get some space, some elbow room away from your friends, away from the people next to you. And just ask yourself a question. Ask yourself a question. Where is your heart with God? For some of you, that's a very easy question. You know, you've given God your heart and you've given God control of your heart. He's the Lord of your heart. He's the leader of your life. Not that you don't make mistakes, but he's in control. And for some of you, it's a very tough question. Because if you were really honest, you'd say, well, my heart's pretty divided. There's a lot of weeds going on in my heart. There's a lot of things tangling and distracting. I'm clinging to a lot of things that are temporary in my heart. But just close your eyes and contemplate that question in the privacy of your own mind. Where is my heart? Have I given control to God? just lip service because I believe that there are people in this room that want true and real change true and real change and the key to that is giving him control of your heart to imagine those of you who want to give God control of your heart the deepest truest parts of you I want you to imagine your heart kind of in your own hands like it's kind of cupped in your hands and when you're ready to surrender 
your heart to God. I'm not talking salvation, I'm talking control, lordship, leadership, making him the boss of you permanently, daily, from the inside out. When you're ready, I want you to take your cupped hands and just lift your heart up to the Lord in act of true and real surrender. Just take a few minutes and wrestle with that. And then when you're ready to release that to God, just do that gesture to symbolically give him your heart. to give him control of your heart because there's those weeds entangling it. There's things that you've wrapped yourself up in with your identity. You've wrapped yourself up with things that you know should be temporal, but they've become too important. And so maybe to release your heart to God, you need to be willing to uproot some weeds in your life. You need to be willing to uproot some stuff. look like God I play basketball but it's just temporary it's a side thing it never takes your place God I play video games but I'm not a video game whatever it is that's become that weed that's entangling your heart that's holding you back you might have to sever that off uproot it Put it back in the small little box so God can be free in your life. Just being real, because I don't want to be the preacher that tells everyone else to change but doesn't ever change I feel like the last few days the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about social media use and it's not that social media is bad it's just like a weed right but I like been on it way too much just killing time just scrolling if I'm ever in an awkward situation or a little bit bored I just have to get on my phone and I have to scroll for no reason like people's stuff and favorite junk and it's like what am I doing and I feel like God's been telling me like that's a weed in your life Jay I'll cut it out every one of us has those things that we turn to for comfort and it's okay but it has to be in its small little place in our life not taking over our heart 
So whatever that is for you, whatever you hear, just make a plan with the Lord. Just say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be off social media for the month or I'm gonna change my password so I can't get on for a while. Whatever, whatever your weed is, whatever has taken root in your heart that you need to get rid of, just make a plan. up with somebody that person might not even be a boyfriend or girlfriend it might just be your best friend because they're just taking over your life consuming your time and they become more important to you than God and you just need to take a break pull away for a little while for some that weed is Come just working out. Working out's great. Be healthy. But for some of you, that's become a, a priority that trumps everything. It's time to trim that down and put it in its proper place in your life. For some, that weed is food. Whenever you're sad, whenever you're hurting, instead of turning to Jesus and talking to Him, you turn to food to ease your emotions to comfort yourself so as you're looking at your heart if you see a weed stuck to the heart ask God how do I cut this out how do I trim this off so that I can give you not just part of my heart but my entire heart Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.